This is In Focus from Control Risks, the global specialist risk consultancy. Each episode of In Focus brings you in-depth analysis and perspective from a different corner of our global network of experts. Just over two months ago, the military leadership of Myanmar, led by General Min Aung Hlaing, suspended the civilian government in a coup. They displaced Aung San Suu Kyi and arrested most of the civilian leadership and that of the National League for Democracy, the ruling party. They shuttered banks, and this resulted in widespread violence across the country. Dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of people, have been killed, many, many more wounded. It's brought business operations and everyday life uh, to a standstill. The country is back in crisis. Today, we're speaking with Derek Awe, our lead Myanmar analyst, to tell us where this is likely to lead and what businesses should do. Derek, great to have you with us today discussing the situation in Myanmar, which has become, well, headline news, obviously, since the coup a few weeks ago now. Increasing violence, increasing disruption to business, banks closed, operational challenges, of course, and a human tragedy on top of all that. And really, disruption and violence that we haven't seen in major cities probably going back in Myanmar, probably going back for, for 30 years. So why don't you, as our lead kind of Myanmar watcher, why don't you perhaps give us an update of what the current situation is, what parts of the country are quiet or quote unquote stable versus some others as a, as a way to kick things off? So we're now heading into, you know, the beginning of May or the fourth month of this coup, and there's still no political resolution or or any meaningful resemblance of that. You know, protests are actually now erupting again, increasing in size and frequency, including in downtown Yangon. And what we're looking at, we assume that military escalation of violence is a constant. We've seen they escalate that to a point where the license to kill have been handed over to regional commanders. So that's a constant. What we're now watching going forward is if, you know, the protester side of things would try to match that escalation by, for example, evolving into an armed resistance, or they could simply choose to submit to the escalation the military has brought forward. Now, in terms of what parts of the country are now experiencing the, the greatest turmoil, outside of Yangon, even before this coup happened, we've obviously recognized that conflict was always there in Karen, Kachin, Rakhine, and Shan mm-hmm. states. Now, those things will continue and in, in fact exacerbated by the dynamics of the coup, not to the extent of spilling over to the central regions, including Yangon and the capital, Nipido. So that's what we're watching for now. But in terms of how things are in downtown Yangon, actually, like, again, we're, we're heading towards May. The, the disruptions that we've seen earlier in the face of the coup have, have started to ease somewhat. The military is stepping up pressure on striking banking employees and other civil servants, and things have, in a way, resembled uh, some kind of superficial normalcy in, in Yangon. And what about other cities like Mandalay? 
which has historically always been kind of a focal point of unrest, if you will, or demonstration in Myanmar, formerly Burma. Is it quiet like Myangon or is it also, or are we seeing increasing violence and security issues there? So Mandalay is, is a tricky one. I think Mandalay resembles more the second scenario that you mentioned. In Mandalay, it's much harder for the military to control the situation. There's loose weapons and arms that, that go around in that area. There's also stronger uh, civil disobedience movement there. So, so in terms of relative to Yangon, I think Mandalay will see you know, the security situation to be much more volatile. Okay, and what do we see? Um, obviously, we have a base of clients in Myanmar and know many of the foreign businesses that are operating there. What do we see them doing? Because obviously, there's a duty of care issue here with respect to staff and employees. There are ethical considerations about what you do and don't do uh, on orders from the new government. Banking facilities have been severely limited, if not closed in some cases. So how are businesses coping with the new the new reality there? Well, there's a lot to think about, right? And there's a lot to do and to respond to the situation. First of all, as you've mentioned, duty of care is obviously the number one priority. And that starts with recognizing that biggest source of security or safety threats would definitely come from the military. There's a lot to think about and a lot to do in this coup situation. And obviously, duty of care is number one priority. That starts with uh, recognizing that the biggest source of security threats would come from the military and that Myanmar staff are much more exposed to that compared to expatriate staff, especially uh, given the COVID context, uh, most expatriates are actually out of the country. But, you know, duty of care, that's uh, sometimes easier said than done. This coup has brought forward a lot of ethical dilemmas that companies are now contending with. In these situations, you know, doing or even saying the right thing could sometimes expose their Myanmar staff to additional security threats. Now, apart from that, businesses are also acknowledging that they are operating in the chaotic system that, you know, we're within an outlier scenario. And, and to respond to that, businesses need to prepare for the worst. You know, that starts with identifying the main risks to their operations in Myanmar, be it operations, security, and also sanctions, reputational risks, and then coming up with mitigation strategies and then figuring out what are the residual risks after you implement those mitigating strategies. Now, residual risks could still be very significant, and that's when decision makers have to make a position whether to you know, scale down operations or make a full market exit or just write this through. Now, apart from that, decision makers must also take into consideration that they have two sets of preferences that they need to take into account when they make major decisions. You know, like th there's a protest movement that's not has not lost steam. It has the capability of disrupting specific sectors. We've seen banking, obviously, and, and ports being disrupted, specific targeted by the civil disobedience movement. So that's mm -hmm. also another kind of dynamic that businesses have to think about. And without names, have we seen any firms kind of just completely shut down? Have we seen you know, any firms take the decision that it's just not it's just not tenable right now to continue to be able to, to continue to operate either because of operational or logistical challenges or bank financial you know banking challenges. Have we seen anybody kind of say, okay, we're 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 shutting down, so to speak, as you said, you know, a lot of expatriates were already out of the country because of the pandemic. 
and just say, you know, we're, we're, we're going to go into deep freeze until we see how this uh, actually plays out. Yes, in fact, we have seen that, but it's only to the extent of announcing a scaling down of operations. We haven't seen um, a full market exit uh, by any of the major players that are in Myanmar. Now, scaling down operations that that has mostly affected, for example, uh, businesses in strategic areas that have to do with military supply chains. For example, you know, like there's a lot of attention for put on how the military transports its resources in the country, how it, it gets imported oil and gas from abroad. So these things are businesses that are involved in these activities are much more exposed to the pressure and, and, mm. and therefore much more likely to announce a scaling down of operations. Right. That's, that's that's the whole ESG factor. And and where do we see it going? I mean, when you read the headlines and the news, it's kind of hard to see how this will resolve itself, right? Because you have very committed parties on both sides. So what are our scenarios, our outlook? What's our outlook for Myanmar in terms of, you know, what's what's kind of the, what does the next six to 12 months look like? Well, first of all, I think when when the coup happened, it required us to make a, a major reassessment of our assumptions about, you know, what the military is trying to do, what it's prepared to do as well. Now, having done that, it's it's still impossible to make a definitive forecast of what Yangon or the rest of Myanmar would look like in six months time. There's so much um, uncertainty uh, and, and, and there's no clear momentum uh, that favors either the pro-democracy side or the military. Every coup, as you can imagine, is an act of risk taking. And so far, for the perspective of the military, this risk, this this risk that they've taken has not paid off yet. Uh, the coup, um, it's taking a while for the military to consolidate control over the country. You know, even at the best case, I think, for the military this year, the most it could do is to kind of take control over the central part, you know, where Yangon and Naypyidaw are and kind of like and make the most out of what's left in the economy. Um, and, and that's, um, you know, like that's the situation that we're, we're looking at going forward. And of course, apart from that, there's the risk or potential for escalation on the protest movement side, right? Like we've talked mm -hmm. about the possibility that they could evolve into some kind of armed resistance uh, that stages attacks, uh, including in Yangon. So that's another uncertainty. And, and, you know, like that's what critical junctures are all about. We're within one and, you know, this could thrust us into a whole new chain of events or or this could strengthen the original plan of the military. We're at that stage. So that, coming back to the military, it's a good kind of stepping off point, I guess. The military leader, Minang Leung, just made a kind of a, a goodwill uh, outreach, if you will, to the ASEAN membership. And there didn't kind of seem to be any kind of hard and fast outcome from that. But he's kind of making a kind of a goodwill gesture for legitimacy seeking purposes. Do we right. see ASEAN or the, the neighboring countries other than China, obviously, which plays a large role in Myanmar? But do we see the neighboring Southeast Asian countries gonna, going to kind of come out and take take a view on this or are they going to kind of play it neutral? So unfortunately, international responses have been slow to catch up with the escalation of violence on the ground. We've seen that over the past three months. And the ASEAN summit is the latest evidence of that. Um, on the media, there have been both optimistic and cynical views 
um, about this summit. For the optimists, this marks the start of a long process of quiet diplomacy. But for the cynics, it is proof of how uh, how little uh, foreign governments can can do to change things uh, for the Myanmar people. The reality, however, is probably can be probably found somewhere in the middle of those two schools of thought. The fact is that ASEAN is the only game in town that is both willing and realistically capable of influencing the Tatmadaw. And at the same time, you know, we should not expect um, the summit or future efforts to, 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 to convince the military to change its uh, pattern of behavior that have been defined for you know, more than seven decades now. So in fact, as soon as Min Online, the commander in chief, uh, returned to Myanmar after the summit, he in a way backtracked on the commitments he made with regional leaders, including by saying that the military would have to achieve stability first before uh, receiving a special ASEAN envoy or, you know, before working towards a dialogue with the opposition movement, which both of which they've committed. So yes, international community efforts like this ASEAN summit are very important, but there's no way that these will stop, you know, violence on the ground. And also these efforts as potentially decisive only uh, when domestic players are willing to work out a realistic compromise, uh, which for now they are not. So Derek, thank you very much from, for your uh, observations on the ground there in Myanmar. And uh, we hope to have you back when the, when the situation, as the situation evolves. If you enjoyed what you heard on this episode of In Focus, make sure to subscribe wherever you listen. And be sure to subscribe to our other podcasts as well, such as The Global Insight, our fortnightly panel discussion exploring the impact of the most pressing issues on global business. All of our podcasts are available wherever you listen. Just search Control Risks. You can follow all of our analysis and find out how we are helping businesses build organizations that are secure, compliant, and resilient by visiting controlrisks.com.